Slob Talk Radio. Welcome to another special edition of the Forestings Fire American Soccer Show as once again we discuss the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Great action as always in the Open Cup. Amazing stuff we've watched so far through either Bleach Report's YouTube page, U.S. Soccer's YouTube page, or CBS Sports' Golazo Network. Some exciting matches we've been watching up and down, back and forth. Just amazing things that we've seen. And unfortunately, for those of you that were hoping for a repeat, either through Orlando City or with Sacramento Republic, both finalists from last year are out. Yes, Orlando City goes one and done, losing 1-0 on the road to Charlotte FC while Sacramento Republic hosting the Colorado Rapids, they go out and fall to a final of two goals to four in favor of the visitors in the Colorado Rapids. Now, we're going to talk about all these exciting games that happened, the big cup set that happened involving Pittsburgh and New England. That'll be a little bit later on the show. But let's go back to what I was trying to talk about. and. Talking about this Open Cup, because obviously on Monday, I had my little issues with my uh, show, unfortunately, and thankfully I was able to get it back on. But let me just say this. I am happy, extremely happy with what U.S. soccer is trying to do to improve the Open Cup. Now, even though they have taken a very, very long time to finally right this ship. I am very excited, and I want to give a lot of kudos and congratulations to Chief Operating Officer David Wright. No, not the former New York Met third baseman, another David Wright. Because what he did and what he is doing is making sure the U.S. Open Cup is viable profitable, exciting, and a lot of fun for not just for U.S. soccer, but for us as well. He understands the importance of what the U.S. Open Cup means to all of us, the importance of all levels of American soccer that falls in love with this tournament and wants to prove that they can knock out Goliath and be the champions of American club soccer, American club football. But the unfortunate thing is, Commissioner Don Garber, during the board meeting with U.S. Soccer that held the, uh, the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies down in Frisco, Texas, Out of all the things that were going on, the comments made by Commissioner Don Garber of Major League Soccer, 
were very, very sad and very, very disturbing. But at the same time, it is really a shame Don Garber had to make these comments during uh, this board meeting at U.S. Soccer. Now, he is a member of the U.S. Soccer Board. But what he needs to understand is is that he must only worry about MLS, league play, because this is a U.S. soccer-sanctioned tournament on all levels. But the comments he made, like I said before, very, very disturbing, and here it is that uh, were reported by Jonathan Tannenwall from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And this is aimed at Mr. Dave Wright, Mr. David Wright, I should say. Dave, first let me give you a shout-out to the group to doing as best you can with this tournament. But I've got to tell you from our perspective, which means Major League Soccer, it is a very poor reflection on what it is that we're trying to do with soccer at the highest level. The games are hard to find. I'm telling you, as an actual viewer, the reaction from our ownership, from our team presidents, and even our fans in terms of being able to find the games, the quality of the games, some of the games that we've been playing in are subpar fields. I would say that they're not games that we would want our product to be shown to a large audience. So frankly, I'm not all that disappointed that the audience is small. I appreciate the enthusiasm about it, but we need to get better with the U.S. Open Cup. It's just not the proper reflection of what soccer in America at the professional level needs to be. So I'm encouraging about the summit. I hope you'll invite a group of people from the league, whether it's our teams, our chief soccer officers, presidents, obviously people from the league office. But so far, our experience as participating teams has not been positive. I just want you to be aware of that. Now, yes, David Wright will host a Open Cup Summit this summer to advance into the 2024 tournament. But once again... The truth of the matter is this, Commissioner Don Garber, when some was the marketing arm of U.S. soccer, what did you do for this tournament? How did you promote it? What did you do to make us feel that you cared? Nothing. You have done nothing to show any kind of care for this Open Cup, for this tournament in American soccer, to help grow the game. Look, I understand it is your job to grow Major League Soccer, and you've done a great job with that. But I'm sorry to inform you that your precious League's Cup is as plastic and as fake as the Campione's Cup. I would not guess or I probably would guess that underneath that gold wrapping with that big number one, a, uh, a stupidity of a trophy, and yes, I've gone there because it's true, I bet you there's chocolate underneath that too. Listen, your job 
is to make Major League Soccer better and healthy. And you have no choice but to have all MLS clubs perform in the U.S. Open Cup. Not every club below MLS has crap fields or crap stadiums. But the truth is, if we invested more stadiums in the lower leagues that are being currently being built in USL Championship, that are being built in USL League One, as well as dreams of building one in USL League One in NISA, hopefully in the future for NPSL and USL League Two, UPSL, if there will be stadiums being built in that level. And the truth is, I'm not asking for a Red Bull Arena carbon copy or a Q2 or a TQL or a Dignity Health Sports Park or a BMO Stadium or a BMO Field or an Audi Field. Whatever capacity the lower levels want to do is fine by me. Lynn Family Stadium is an excellent venue. I am excited for the construction of the brand new India 11 Stadium the construction of a Memphis 901 FC stadium. I like Toyota Field in San Antonio. Do you understand? I like that. Because why? Because it's a stadium meant for the game. If you watch FA Cup matches in the early rounds... You don't see super-duper-charged stadiums in England. No. And even if a lower-level side, whether it be a third division, a fourth division, a pub team, an amateur team, qualifies for England's FA Cup, what type of stadium do they play in? They play in a big field. And the stands are at the ends. That's where they are. That is where they are. So all I can tell everyone is this. If we can have something like that in the lower levels, below the professional levels, below NISA, below USL League One, I'm happy. Because the only thing we should care about is having stadiums made for the game. And no matter how many times I say this till I'm blue in the face, we need stadiums meant for the game. I am sick and tired, even though they may be subpar, but the truth of the matter is this. I am sick and tired of seeing these clubs paying rent for a facility that they don't own. Now, I'm not asking them to break the bank. If they have the finances to build one, then good luck. Do it. I'm not here to force feed a stadium down anybody's throat. But the truth is, we need that to grow the game in this country. Because, once again, to all of you who are demanding promotion relegation to be a part of this, that will kill off all of NISA and half of USL League One. And maybe even some of these amateur teams 
or these national teams in NPSL and USL League 2, that might kill them off if we do have ProRel now. I am not saying no. I am saying not yet. And I'm not arguing against. I am supporting the idea. But let's take it with a grain of salt and let us truly look at what the real issues are. We already know the pro league standards. As I have said many times, soccer stadiums being owned by the clubs. And until that gets fixed, for now, for now, we must stay where we are. Build stadiums if you can, but let's keep growing it all up and down the professional levels and the amateur levels and the national level until we get it right. Because if we don't get it right, it's done. It's over and done. And I'm not saying this to satisfy Don Garber. I am saying this because once again, I care about the game. I love this game like you love this game. And I want this game to remain healthy and strong. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it is a tough thing to go through right now. But just saying it doesn't mean it's going to happen. We need solutions to make sure we do not allow it to fall apart below Major League Soccer. I got a great show for everyone tonight. Let's go ahead with the first guest now. We had to record this one today. And this is the one and only John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer now. They defeat the New England Revolution by a final of a goal to nil. And here is that interview right now. Welcome back to the Open Cup Round 4 Review Show. Daniel Feuerstein here. And here we go, folks. First segment of the night, and what a segment it will be. The Pittsburgh Riverhounds, a cup set over, New England Revolution, one goal to nil. From Pittsburgh Soccer Now, the one and only John Krasinski joining me. John, that had to be the best result in the Open Cup in the history of the Riverhounds, knocking off not just the New England Revolution, but Bruce Arena. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you put it that way, it, you know, I, it's hard to quantify, like, the best result ever. But, I mean, there was only one other win against an MLS team. That came 22 years ago against Colorado. So, I, I would say, yeah, let's call it the best ever, absolutely. The team, the franchise, the fans here have been so hungry to have one of these Open Cup matches here at Highmark Stadium. And they finally got it, you know. They finally got it because the reward was two, two days later, you know, getting the uh, getting the, the draw to go in their favor. So, so I think, yeah, I think everything worked out. Everything finally aligned. Uh, and you knew, Daniel, you know, with a head coach like Bob Lilly, uh, I, you knew that it was gonna it was gonna happen. It was just a matter of when. You know. I've, I, someone asked me once a long time ago on social media, if Major League Soccer was not around, right. what lower-level 
head coach do you think would be on the U.S. men's national team? And the two people I picked, of course, unfortunately, Harrisburg City Islanders are no longer around, but right. Bill Betcher was one of them, and Bob Lilly would be the other. And listen, Bob Lilly has not disappointed at all. What a performance and what a game plan he put out there at Gillette Stadium. Yeah, it really was, a, I, I would say, a master. Somebody mentioned the word. I did. I will I won't take words out of, uh, I give someone else credit. There was someone on social media used the word master class. Um, I looked at the five, uh, the four corners, uh, I'm sorry, the three. I'm getting too carried away here. Uh, one time in an interview about three years ago with me, two years ago, Bob said the three things that you can do effectively in his system to be very successful. And um, as obviously walking through the streets of Pittsburgh here, so I don't have that in front of me, but, you know, one is don't give balls away, don't give games away, be dynamic, and um, and then and the other, um, trying to think of the other now, it's, it's, it's evading my mind, but if you could look at my uh, player grade, the takeaways article, um, uh, it's, it's pretty well outlined. But my point is, is that the Hounds executed the cornerstones of what we love to call lily ball uh, here in Pittsburgh, and, uh, you know, that's... That's really, um, really it. They executed. They did what they needed to do in terms of uh, being, you know, carrying out Bob's game plan. And Bob's game plan against New England was all about uh, making sure that they were positive every time they touched the ball, that, that they were going to, you know, make – they weren't going to give balls back away that – you know that they that they were going to have good counterattacking chances, and they they created more shots on target than New England. They were the better team in terms of being more dangerous in the final third. New England won the possession battle, but the Hounds have been living this way all year, and sometimes that catches up with you. But sometimes, you know, in terms of maybe not conceding the possession game. They, that as long as you are more dangerous than the other team, when you do have your opportunities, and that's what they that's what they did so so well um, in this game especially. And I don't think New England was prepared. I don't think they I don't think they thought any team uh, in the second division could match up with them physically. And I think the Hounds did that uh, defensively. Uh, There's just a lot of things I don't think they expected, and I think. The Hounds uh, were just very well prepared. And of course, that's Bob Lilly's coaching at a team. What was the feeling around Pittsburgh? Because I like to think this was the battle of wits and the battle of, you know, who makes the better substitutions, who has the better tactics. I mean, look, Bruce Arena has been decorated very well in Major League Soccer. Of course, his time with the U.S. men's national team, putting them into the quarterfinals of the 2002 World Cup. But, you know, what was that like in Pittsburgh, the feeling of Bruce Arena versus Bob Lilly? I mean, what was the feeling around there? Well, I mean, those of us in the soccer community, those of us that are soccer knowledgeable, um, and even kind of the fringe soccer fans, I, I think that, that was definitely something that, was a was a matchup that we we looked at and said, wow, you know, but this is Bob's chance to show that, you know, he, not only that, you know, um, Frank Yallop, he coached against Frank Yallop a couple nights before that, of course, in uh, against Monterey Bay, and uh, there's a pretty well-known coach too as well uh, in, on the U.S. and North American soccer scene, but 
But yeah, I mean, Bob, you know, I think, I, I think what arenas, arena has the same quandary that a lot of MLS coaches have, and that is, you know, what do you do in terms of rotation? You know, Bob basically takes this same approach, though. His squad rotation, I mean, he started three or four players who haven't started a single USL championship match in this match against New England. So he had a lot of faith in his depth, and he, you know, in all the players that he brings on into the into the Riverhounds organization or any club he's ever coached. You know, they have to buy into what he's selling. And, and all of those guys knew their role. They did their jobs. And, uh, you know, they, they executed. And I think Bruce Arena, I think, I, I think in terms of, you know, going with maybe some well, – he kind of had a mixed lineup. I think he was trying to give some guys some minutes. You know, Josie Altador was out there. You know, you saw some of the other, you know, some some good players. I mean, Blessing, he, I think he, a couple of mistakes he made, you know, defensively or defending and uh, challenging for balls. And, and then he had a, he, because he was sitting on a yellow card, I think that took away, because he's a very energetic player, I think that took away some of that aggressiveness that maybe Arena was hoping to get from him. And the Hounds, you know, took advantage of that. But the Hounds midfield, I think, is another thing. Bobby Mertz. Uh, and, and Mark Barra, who I thought had a, basically had a breakout game uh, in this game, I think he was outstanding. And uh, Robbie Mertz, as I mentioned, and of course Danny Green, Danny Griffin, the return of Danny Griffin to the Riverhounds. He was with Huntsville MLS Next Pro. Try, he tried to give a, you know, he tried to make it a go to see if he could get a pathway to Nashville or to an MLS team, and you know it didn't work out. He wanted to get back to Pittsburgh. He called Bob Lilly. He's back. And sure enough, he's the guy that scores the goal on a beautiful, perfectly weighted pass from from Yabara, who was playing the, kind of in the position that Griffin played a lot in the previous three years in Pittsburgh. So um, I think it all worked out, but, you know, for reason, good reason. They had a lot of chemistry, uh, they, you know, with that midfield. And, you know, defensively, they they just weren't going to give an inch. And they had, I think, 20, 25 clearances and four, uh, 14 tackles. And, you know, they had about seven or eight blocks. I mean, they, New England just didn't have anything, couldn't do anything in the final third. And what the Hounds have been doing so well, uh, and I'll finish my, my long-winded um, um, answer here, is the Hounds have been doing so well is that they've been limiting teams in terms of shot, um, whether it's, you know, shots attempted and even shots on frame. Uh, even in the 2-2 two, two draw of the Monterey Bay, they had, they had two, they, they, only, they only surrendered allowed Monterey Bay to have four shots the entire game. Of course, Monterey Bay scored two of those, but that's another story. But, yeah, that's, that's what the Hounds have been doing all year. So now you've got yourselves, you have Birmingham Legion, are the only two USL championship squads that have advanced the deepest. And depending on the results for the fifth round, of course, your match against the Columbus Crew I mean, what are we expecting here? Are we expecting a run? Are we expecting the top prize of USL Championship? Do you feel that the Riverhounds can make a run deep in the Open Cup? Because I don't think the Riverhounds have ever had a run like this in a very long time. Well, yeah, 2001 was the last time they did it, and that was that's when they made it to the quarterfinals. So that's the furthest they've ever been. 
And, yeah, I mean, are they capable? Absolutely. For all the reasons why I talked about before, Bob, they're coached. They're well, well coached. And I think a lot of the players believe, player for player, that they can match up against any MLS team, especially as it, it you know, when you, when you get into the Open Cup squad rotation type situations, I think the Hounds, you know, again, feel that even for a USL championship level, that they're deep enough uh, in terms of players and players knowing their roles. And now two, what, two and a half months into the season, they're finally starting to get comfortable. You know, I think they're finally getting comfortable with each other, with the new guys, the returning guys, that sort of thing. So I, I think confidence is, is high, but, you know, it's week to week. And, and right now they're pretty healthy for the most part. Um, so, you know, they, they can go 20, 22 deep uh, and figure out what he wants to do with the 18. But, um, but yeah, I think, they, I think they believe. I think they believe they can, they can hang with anybody right now. No, I agree with you there. I think they're going to be dangerous, and I think they got another cup set in them uh, uh, against the Columbus crew. What do you have to worry about with Columbus? Now, obviously, that red card did help them after uh, they got the first goal of the match against Loudoun United, and then they blitzed them for four more in the first half and really cruised, of course, being up a man for the rest of the match. But what do you have to worry about with the Columbus crew for your next matchup? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I was talking to Danny Griffin about this, and, and I think he said they just want to – they're not too worried about the opponents. They just want to make sure that they they know that Lily will have a game plan. Uh, the one thing is there's some, some familiarity with with Columbus. They're, they play every year in the preseason, just about every year. Um, you know, the two organizations have some history working together. We know some players who – were loaned out to Pittsburgh from Columbus, uh, most famously Zach Steffen, of course. But, you know, I, I think, I don't know, me personally, I, I have to really watch and see Columbus um, play and, and to really get an idea, and, and I'm sure Bob probably, probably feels the same way, um, get a real good look at that side um, before I can really, you know, attest to what 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 type of matchup this will be for Pittsburgh. But, I, I again, coming into this match with New England, they, they, you know, a lot of people said this is a terrible matchup for Pittsburgh. This is the supporter shield leader. And, you know, the Hounds had an answer, and I think that's the key. I think and they, got, they did play in this preseason, uh, and the match wasn't even the, – the, the score wasn't even published. Uh, so I, I, I know it wasn't a good score for the Hounds. I don't know what the score was. But either side wanted to share uh, the results of the match because it was a kind of a closed-door scrimmage. And I'm sure, you know, at the first week or two of preseason, both sides were really just trying to figure stuff out. So it's not something that we could go by at all. But um, but in recent years, you know, they, they played one nothing in, uh, in 2019 and their only other Open Cup match against each other. And I think it'll be a similar type of match. I think it'll be tight. And I think, you know, one way or another, the Hounds' approach, though, is the first half, they did this last year against FC Cincinnati, too, was really go for it in that first half. And I think they, they did that against the Revolution. And I think you'll see them try to do that at Highmark Stadium with it's going to be an electric atmosphere. The tickets went on sale this morning. People are excited about this match. It's going to be electric. There'll be, there'll be, you know, people make the three-hour road trip from Columbus 
this is something that Pittsburgh soccer fans have been waiting for for eight years. We haven't had this year since D.C. United's 2015 appearance. So uh, I, I think just that alone should give the Hounds uh, a jump, a push, an edge, uh, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I think that's the that's that in itself will be interesting. Plus, you know, the Highmark Stadium field, it is not – it's not the biggest field in pro soccer in the U.S. It's obviously one of the most scenic, but it's a little bit tight in terms of um, not so much width but length. Uh, I, I don't think it's the complete length of, of what you'll see a, a full-fledged FIFA regulation field, but it is width-wise, I believe it is. Well, it should be a fun one, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen. The only question is, are you going to be on Bleach Report's YouTube channel, or are you going to be on CBS Sports' Galazzo? Because that could be a big moment for the Riverhounds if you're on CBS Sports' new Galazzo network. That would be great to see if that happens. Yeah, I think there's there's some speculation that might happen, but of course we won't, you know, we don't know. We're only talking about, what are we talking about, eight matches, right? So yep. Over the course of two days, so... Yeah, there's a chance this is definitely an intriguing one. And, you know, at least across the country, I think people want to see the team that, you know, the two teams, Birmingham and Pittsburgh. By the way, Birmingham and Pittsburgh play on Saturday, play tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, you know, again, is a good test for both sides. And and really the Hounds are are behind Birmingham right now in the standings. So first time they're home in a while. Uh, they, They played seven of their first nine matches on the road in league play, plus this trip to New England. So this is a team that's just, they're going to be home for a stretch now, including the MLS, uh, the Open Cup match. So I, I think they're very eager to start to implement their, their, their stamp, make their, you know, make their mark, make, build, the, build points in league play at home, and then also have hopefully use the home advantage in the Open Cup. Absolutely. John, thanks again for joining me. Good luck in the fifth round against Columbus, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. All right. Sounds good, Daniel. Take care. Have a good one. And once again, it's John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer now as the Riverhounds Cup set New England Revolution by a final of a goal to nil. Two other USL Championship sides faced each other in the southern end of the country. It was Memphis it was Birmingham and Birmingham Legion. They're the ones that advanced into the next round as they defeat Memphis 901 FC by a final of three goals to nil. Once again, joining me uh, to discuss this big win is Kaylor Hodges from the Hammering Down podcast on L- Birmingham Legion. And Kaylor, I just have to say, watching that match, business as usual. Tommy Stone, once again, getting the tactics right, playing hard, got his guys to go forward, and they get the big victory you guys needed to move on to the next round. Yeah, I mean, it was about as straightforward as it could seem. But even so, at the very beginning, Legion only touched the ball one time in the first five minutes, very clearly going for a counterattacking system but not doing anything to press to make it happen. And then almost like clockwork, the moment the, the clock hit six, just this intense press came out, and Memphis had no idea what to do with it. It was an incredible thing to see. And for the fans to see a 3-0 win, seeing two former players come home and get it kind of handed to them, it, it was just a satisfying night for every fan at the three sparks. 
It really, really was. And boy, I got to tell you, once again, Juan Agudelo comes up huge with that opening goal in the 20th minute. Uh, beating former D.C. United goalkeeper Bill Hamid, you know, I've seen that many, many times when uh, Agadello was with the Red Bulls and Hamid was with DC United, you know, one of the oldest rivalries in uh, Major League Soccer. And boy, that didn't disappoint me, not a bit. No, I mean, that it was such an interesting play because, you know, it comes off a short corner routine, which just hasn't been very uh, useful um, for the Legion this year. And then, Enzo Martinez fires another MLS long-timer, fires that ball in, and Juan gets his uh, foot on the end of it. It kisses both both goalposts and goes into the back of the net, and seeing Juan immediately go running straight for the fans, it was very (laughs) therapeutic um, because, I mean, it's been a long-time rival, and Juan has been waiting a long time to really endear himself to the fans. Um, not when he started here, it wasn't the hottest of starts, and it wasn't living up to the uh, you know reputation that is Juan Agudelo. And now he is really starting to roll, and he is really starting to become a true fan favorite here in Birmingham. It had to take him, you know, a lot of time just to get, I guess, I guess uh, acclimated and adjusted to life down in Birmingham, as well as being in USL Championship. Like we've both said, he was a prospect not just for the Red Bulls but for the U.S. men's national team he scored some pretty darn goals especially uh in South Africa and against uh Lionel Messi in Argentina in a 1-1 draw yeah. at MetLife Stadium but you know it's it's nice to see Juan Agadello finally coming around and understanding you know stop stop the the horsing around and, and finally get to work yeah I mean there's one thing that's been obvious and Tommy Stone wanted him around obviously because last year he didn't have a great year and this year he's come back they wanted him back and in training I mean Tommy pushes one just as hard if not harder than anybody else on the team and not just that fans I mean not fans but players adore him players absolutely adore one he has just been a wonderful locker room presence and for a lot of these guys are real prospects. I mean, Matthew Corcoran, who got a little bit of time in this U.S. Open Cup, was considered to be the cream of the crop of the of the U uh, the U15 level, and now as a 17 year old, he is still one of the guys that the U.S. Men's National Team are very excited about in the upcoming decade or so. And for a guy like Juan to be able to be around and tell him not only what can get him there, but what can keep him there. I mean, he's just a wonderful resource for the club to have. Very, very true. And uh, once again, he gets off the schneid with a big goal in this uh, Open Cup tilt against Memphis 901 FC. Enzo Martinez, a USL championship veteran, he gets on the board to make it 2-0 in the 39th minute. And reality, you know, Legion is rolling. No issues here, and Enzo Martinez comes up with a huge goal. Yeah, that second one, I mean, it was um, it was an interesting play, all created by Tyler Pasher, who cuts in on from that right side, and it becomes a real force in the midfield. Takes a shot, which Bill Hamid does a really good job of saving because it takes a nasty deflection, um, and Bill Hamid saves it. Unfortunately for Hamid, though, in, instead of going right into his palms, it takes the deflection, which forces him to make a last-second save, which happens to fall right in the way of 
Enzo Martinez, who then nutmegs uh, Akeem Ward, a former Legion player, to go into that bottom right corner. And, you know, there's not much me could have done there. You would maybe want him to push it out for a corner kick, but the way that ball deflected off, he did the best he could. And Akeem Ward, who was already on a tight rope, uh, getting a yellow card and should have been sent off later on, you know, it was just a rough night for him, and Enzo Martinez really made them pay. Yep, he really would, and it's 2-0 at halftime. But once again, you mentioned Tyler Pasher. He comes up big for you as well, gets the third goal in the match for Birmingham in the 64th minute, and really, it's just runaway city. And uh, unfortunately, it's not a cup set because both sides are regular uh, battlers in USL Championship. But um, you took care of they could excuse me they took care of business, and Pasher makes it three nil in the 64th. Yeah, that goal was really created by Juan Aguidello. He took the wonderful touch and then a flick over a defender just to play that ball out wide. And unfortunately for him, Prosper Kasim gets the assist, but really all Prosper did was get a touch on it, lose his footing, and and uh, Pasher was there to clean it up. In all reality, if, if Kasim just did not touch it at all, Pasher was still getting on the end of that ball and shooting it. I mean, it's really unfortunate that uh, Juan does not get credit for the assist because Prosper, I love the guy, but did absolutely nothing on that play. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, left high and dry. There's nothing more he could do about that one, nor his defenders, and it's 3-0. So, very interesting situation here. Obviously, you, or shall I say, Birmingham Legion and the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, you are the last two remaining clubs in USL Championship mm-hmm. that are still alive in the Open Cup. Now, amazingly enough, you're both in separate brackets, but you'll be facing each other in league play this weekend. How strange yep. is it, or how interesting is it, that similarly, you'll be facing each other in league play but will you be rooting for each other in the Open Cup to maybe face each other if you do reach the next round or go all the way to the semifinals? Um, frankly, absolutely not. Um, it's one of those things. This is, a, this is a real rivalry match between the two. A couple of years ago, Pittsburgh kept Legion from getting their first ever home playoff game due to an alleged Halloween party and a COVID outbreak happened um, for Pittsburgh meaning Legion lost their first-ever home playoff game and lost a lot of money in a sellout match that never got a chance to happen. And then the next year, uh, Legion plays them again. Uh, Pittsburgh wins 1-0 at home. Legion ends up winning 3-1 at home. And then, lo and behold, a couple weeks later, they have to play each other in the first ever in the first round in the playoffs. Lo and behold, Legion's first ever home playoff game. They get they get each other two years in a row, but this time it actually happens. Goes all the way to penalties, stuff thrown on the pitch afterwards after Pittsburgh beats Birmingham after Legion were up one nil in the ninetieth minute. Um it was it's a big rivalry between these two. These fan bases hate each other. The players hate each other. And there's nothing I want more than Pittsburgh to get knocked out as soon as possible. That said I heard you talking to John before this. I think he's a wonderful guy, and I love listening to, like, Mongols and stuff like and all the other stuff that they do. So, you know, not too much hard feelings, but, I mean, if they could lose 5-0, that would be great. <laughs> but, of course, it wouldn't be a rivalry without having a little animosity towards each other. Why not? Um, but let me ask you this, though. Do you feel this is a – not just on the weekend, but – 
when you see a guy or a manager like Bob Lilly, and then him and Tom Stone are going to be, you know, matching wits with each other. In your mind, I mean, that's probably like the the, the best ever. To like, you've got Bob Lilly, who's been in the USL lower leagues for a long, long time. Tommy Stone did manage DC United once for a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. When you see these two match up in their technical area, what are you thinking right there? They could not be more opposite of coaches, to be honest. Bob Lilly is a tinkerer, he is a thinker, and he is someone who micromanages every single moment of the match. Tommy Stone, and it's really impressive what he does, he coaches in training, and every now and then he'll yell something from the touchline, but he lets players play. He, the players know the system, but he lets them play, he lets them make decisions, he lets Captain Fanwell Kavita do his thing. And they are really the opposite kinds of coaches where Tommy will sit back, watch it all, give a halftime speech, let him know what he's seeing, but he lets the players play. And it's part of the reason why Legion gets so many really good players is because you don't get many coaches in the USL that let them play and just let them do their thing. Meanwhile, Bob Lilly, he has made a career in being probably the best lower league uh, soccer coach in America. I mean, he is unreal. And this year he has, frankly, a pretty bad roster relative to what he's had these last three, four years. And he's still getting results out of them because he may micromanage, but he manages them to perfection and gets results. Very true. Now we're going to move on to the next opponent in the Open Cup, which will be in the fifth round, and that is Charlotte FC. They're coming down to face Birmingham Legion over at the Protective Stadium in downtown Birmingham, Alabama. What are your concerns about Charlotte FC? They knocked off Orlando City, the defending Open Cup champions. What are we expecting against Charlotte? What concerns do you have or what advantages do you think Birmingham will have against Charlotte FC? This one's a really interesting one for me because it depends on how we've seen before that teams in MLS take a USL team not very seriously. I mean, Charlotte really did it against uh, Richmond, but they really took it to Richmond too. But they played very much a rotated side that – was a little bit over first-team players, but the rest was um, their crown legacy team. Um, This is an interesting matchup, though, because Charlotte's not going very hot in the league. They are not playing very well in the league, and frankly, I think it would be, you know, DEFCON 5 for them if they don't advance through the Open Cup because right now this is all the fans really have to lean on. And so I fear for Legion that Charlotte are going to go full out for this one. They are going to put everything they got to winning this match. And that's a little bit scary because, you know, a first team of Charlotte should, in theory, be a first team in Legion. That said, if Legion play like they did against Memphis, the way that Legion plays cutting in on the wings and really exploiting space out wide that's been the biggest weakness for Charlotte. They have been overrun in the wide areas. They Those diagonal runs uh, from those inverted wingers have given them trouble all year long. 
and that is Legion's entire game plan. So I think the system works well for Legion. I think the talent is there to really give Charlotte a push, but it really falls down to how serious is Charlotte going to take this match because, frankly, it's kind of all they have left in the, already this year. Very true, and this is going to be a fun one. I know it's going to be a fun one. I can't wait to see what's going to happen uh, when Birmingham Legion will be hosting Charlotte FC, and then, of course, maybe we'll talk about what you'll do against either Nashville or Inter-Miami. Kaler, as always, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. Good luck in the next uh, match in USL Championship, and good luck in the next round of the Open Cup. Thanks, man. Thanks for inviting me, as always. Thank you. Once again, Kaylor Hodges from the Hammering Down podcast on Birmingham Legion. And boy, oh boy, it's nice when you have two lower division sides still in the thick of it, still in the thick of things, moving forward as we get ready, get ready for more Open Cup fun. And waiting for my next guest to come up is Bruce McGuire, of course, Denord, over to talk about Minnesota United's victory over the Philadelphia Union in the penalty kick shootout after a wild and wacky, a wild and wacky 2-2 in regulation, then 3-3 in extra time, and then a big eight-rounder in the penalty kick shootout as the Minnesota United FC, the Loons, goes out and does a big win, a huge win, over the Philadelphia Union as they take it to them, going 7-6 in penalties through eight rounds. Now, as we do wait for Bruce McGuire to call in and to uh, help us out with this one, you know, first half... Nothing too crazy going on. A yellow card here, a yellow card there. And then all of a sudden, fireworks. Fireworks once again. Coming up big. For Minnesota United. And all you can do is just sit back marvel and watch what happens and you know I think this guy is going to be something special for Minnesota United FC Bongo Kuli Hilongwain I hope I pronounced that correctly Um, a lot of uh, vowels in there Uh, big goal in the 68th minute to make it 1-0 for Minnesota and then of course Later on, Joseph Rosales makes it 2-0 in the 74th. And I really thought the Philadelphia Union were done and dusted right there. And I thought, this thing is over in 90 minutes. Not so. Once again, the Philadelphia Union, they know how to battle. They know how to fight. They know how to move forward. Jim Curtin's side will never, ever give up. And then they go ahead and not only pull one back four minutes later – in the 70th minute from Chris Donovan, but Kai Wagner in second half stoppage time after getting booked, and that forced extra time 2-2, and then you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, 
Let's see if we're going to get any goals in this, and maybe we go straight to a penalty kick shootout. Then, all of a sudden, it is once again Bongo Cooley Hilongwain who makes it 3-2 Minnesota in the 103rd minute, going right into the second half of extra time. And you're thinking now Philadelphia doesn't have much till you get to the final minute of extra time before going into second half stoppage time in extra time. And once again, it's Kai Wagner who does it again. He scores in the final minute of the extra time in the second half of it. And boy, oh boy, it's 3-3. It's 3-3, and my goodness, it's just unbelievable what the heck happened with Minnesota United FC and the Philadelphia Union. Then we go into penalty kicks, and that's when you're getting worried, concerned, depending on what will happen. Who would blink first? Who would miss first? Well, I'll tell you right now. Minnesota and the Union are going 2-2 through two rounds. And then it was Kevin Ariaga who got stopped by Andre Blake. And then you're thinking, Sully's going to take it. Then it was Matt Real who gets stopped by Clint Irwin, the former Colorado Rapids goalkeeper. It's 2-2 after three rounds. Then it's going back and forth again. Rosales converts. Joaquin Torres converts. Cameron Dunbar converts. Julian Carranza converts. It's 4-4 after five penalties each. And then you go to Brett Kalman at 6-5. Jeremy Raffanello at 6-6. Michael Boxall, 7-6. Excuse me, 5-5-6-6. Uh, five, five, six, six. Damien Lowe scores. That makes it 6-6. Six, six. Miguel Tapias makes it 7-6. And then here comes Kai Wagner. And you're thinking, he scored in regulation. He scored an extra time. Kai Wagner's going to put one in in the penalty kick shootout. Not so. Clint Irwin guessed right, got both hands on that ball, and the Philadelphia Union once again fall in a penalty kick shootout. Ever since they faced Kansas City, Sporting Kansas City, I should say, in a penalty kick shootout, in an Open Cup final in Kansas City, they have not done well in shootouts in the Open Cup. They have not done well in shootouts in the MLS Cup Championship against LAFC. Why? Because their former goalkeeper, who was their backup for such a long period of time, John McCarthy, was the one stopping these penalty kicks. Because Andre Blake either was not playing or got subbed out to put in John McCarthy into these penalty kick shootouts. And that, my friends, the bad luck continues for Andre Blake, 
who is still a great goalkeeper in MLS, but when it comes to these penalty kick shootouts, either in MLS Cup playoffs, MLS Cup final, or the Open Cup, they're just not doing the job. Not doing the job whatsoever. Oh, it's a mental thing. It is a mental issue for the Philadelphia Union because once they get to a shootout, they're just not able to get through. They'll win in regulation. They'll win in extra time. But they just cannot do it in a penalty kick shootout. Yes, they have beaten the Red Bulls once in a penalty kick shootout at Red Bull Arena in a cup run back in 2015. And that was in the quarterfinals. But then they lost to the Red Bulls in a fifth-round matchup in the Open Cup in the shootout in 2017. And that's when Ryan Mara was in goal for the New York Red Bulls. Saving it off the post, the ball rolling away from the net, and the Red Bulls went 5-4 in the penalty kick shootout in the Open Cup. So for the Philadelphia Union, eliminated in the CONCACAF Champions League by LAFC, eliminated by Minnesota United FC in the Open Cup, they have an MLS season. They have an, let's see if they qualify for the MLS Cup playoffs. And yes, unfortunately, they got to be involved in the League's Cup, which once again, I don't count. But that's how I feel. That is something that is going to be large and huge. And it's just going to be one of those things where you really hope, you really do hope, if you are a union fan, that they will be able to go out there and find a way to one day break this hex. If you are a supporter of Minnesota United FC, that's a big victory. Should have had it in regulation. Okay, you go in extra time. Should have had it in extra time. Great, now we go to the shootout. But thank goodness you converted seven out of eight and that you stopped Philadelphia two out of eight to win that in the penalty kick shootout, seven to six in eight rounds. And now for Minnesota United FC, you have to go down to Texas and take on the Houston Dynamo at Shell Energy Stadium on Tuesday, May the 23rd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central. And that should be an interesting matchup. And when you watched the draw on Bleach Report's YouTube page, you're thinking to yourself, where will your clubs be? Where will your clubs be located? Where are they going to be landing in their respective regions in the draw? Obviously, in that central draw, the Texas teams were split up. So, unfortunately for Minnesota, if they do win on the road, they would have to go back to Texas in the quarterfinals. 
take on either Austin FC or if the Chicago Fire does the job, they could be making a shorter trip to the great state of Illinois. So we'll have to wait and see for that one. But once again, it is just a interesting and a wonderful moment when you're watching that draw in front of you and you're hoping and praying and begging to see what will happen and who will host not only those fifth round matches, but who could host a quarterfinal match. And seeing that in that draw, obviously the New York Rebels got the first pick as they were the first ball drawn in the East. Austin FC was picked in the central first for that position. Birmingham uh, Legion picked to host the quarterfinals. If they do defeat Charlotte in the South, And then, of course, Colorado Rapids gets the first pick as they were drawn first in the West draw, depending on if they do defeat Real Salt Lake and which Los Angeles club they'll face. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I personally cannot wait. And let's go get it. Let's get some excitement. Before I go and move on to the next uh, segment, I want to quickly uh, go to congratulate or at least to acknowledge Sacramento Republic talking about a mental health help hotline that they have on their jerseys uh, to talk about mental health across the country, that it's important to contact or call that area code. Probably, I understand, I believe it is nationwide or Maybe it's in California, but if it's nationwide, that's great. I think it was area code 998 or 988. I have to double-check that. But, you know, great job from Sacramento Republic to be aware of mental health issues moving forward. And uh, for them to promote that is just a wonderful thing to see. And I just want to congratulate Sacramento Republic for that wonderful gesture that they did. Now we're going to move on to a wild and wacky night at Providence Park in Portland, Oregon, Real Salt Lake, heading on to face the Portland Timbers. They somehow come out with bangers and galazos against the Timbers and escape with a 4-3 victory. Joining me uh, on a recorded interview is Matt Montgomery. And, of course, he is the managing editor of the brand-new Wasatch Soccer Sentinel. Go online to WasatchSoccerSentinel.com and read his articles if you are a Real Salt Lake supporter or just a fan of the game. So here's that recorded interview right now. Welcome back to the American Soccer Show, reviewing the Open Cup fourth round. And boy, what a match this was. The last match of the round in round four, Real Salt Lake. Coming up big against the Portland Timbers, winning it by a final of four goals to three at Providence Park. Join me right now to talk about this now Wasatch Soccer Sentinel managing editor, the one and only Matt Montgomery, join me right now. Matt, welcome back to the show. And uh, boy, oh boy, what a crazy nutty game that was in the Open Cup, but we don't expect anything less. 
Yeah, that's the magic of the cup, right? Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it was quite a match. We saw Real Salt Lake go down twice, first at 1-0 and then at uh, 2-1. Or, I'm sorry, 3-2. Uh, and then come back to win at fourth break. It's just you, you can't predict this sort of thing. And to see results come from the efforts of uh, players both new new to the team and old, like it, it doesn't get better than that. I know it really doesn't. And I got to admit, there were a lot of bangers in this one. There was a lot of golazos as well. I mean, uh, even from the Portland side, I could not believe what I was watching, seeing both teams not just going for it but performing at such a high level and giving us all entertainment, whether you're from Portland, Salt Lake City, or anywhere else around the country watching this on social media on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, that, the, the biggest and best goal for me is still Andres Gomez from like a, a kind of a tight angle outside the box, just right into the corner. Uh, I don't know. You, you don't see goals like that every day. And there were some other great goals. Uh, but they were also well-worked goals, which is something great off that Lake's been struggling with this year. So to see it all kind of click against a, a team that we're, I mean, we're playing him again next week, uh, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. I mean, this is why we love soccer, right? Oh, absolutely. You are correct on that one. But, yeah, uh, Gomez's ball, I mean, I, I thought he might have overshot it over the bar, and then it just dips in beautifully to beat the keeper. And, I mean, I was – I jumped out of my seat when I saw that. I was like, I can't believe he scored it like that. That was amazing. And then, as you said, Portland did come back. Uh, they leveled the match at the start of the second half in the 49th minute from Justin Rasmussen. Uh, Yaroslaw Nizgoa Goda, excuse me, in the 52nd minute made it 3-2, and I thought it was over and done with. But boy, Michael Chang Ramirez, two goals in a span of four minutes. He must be something special coming into Salt Lake. Uh, something Pablo Mastroeni must have seen him do. Just amazing stuff. Yeah, my, Michael Chang's an interesting player. He's been around U.S. soccer for quite a while. I think he played probably at, uh, was it Charleston Battery? Uh, he, was, he was one of the players that came over from Cuba. Uh, I believe it was, I don't remember which international match it was, but he was one of several players who fled as a refugee uh, during an international match. Uh, and it's his rise to this point is, I mean, it's not meteoric, uh, he played in the USL for quite a while. He played for Real Monarchs for quite a while. Uh, and then he made the jump up to the first team. Not a young guy. He's 32 now. Um, and his first couple of years with, with the first team were, I mean, not outstanding. They were okay. Uh, he was a serviceable player. Uh, but he's continued to improve in such a way that like, players don't usually in their 30s. Uh, he, he has a ceiling, certainly. Uh, he, he won't get much better than this, I suspect. Uh, but he, he put it together really well in this game, and he's been one of RSL's most dangerous attacking players over the last two to three years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, great goals from him. Just really, really dangerous up front. And then, of course, you know, you're counting the minutes down you're, you're, or, or up in this case. But, you know, 
and you're seeing Portland really attacking, really giving fits to Real Salt Lake. I mean, those are those moments where you're just worried that maybe another equalizer was coming. And once again, you know, for us, obviously, you know, you want to see more excitement. But, you know, for if you're a Salt Lake supporter, no, keep it the way it is. Yeah, it's I, we haven't put it together in the league like this. We've, we've got, I think, three wins in MLS play. Uh, we have more losses. Uh, we have, what, one draw, two draws now. Uh, and, and we haven't seen it click. Uh, and to click in the U.S. Open Cup with players that, uh, frankly, aren't, aren't playing first-team minutes regularly, like, puts us in an interesting position where I have to wonder, like, is this a consequence of two potentially weakened rosters playing each other and is ourselves back half of the roster one of the stronger in MLS? I tend to think that our back, the back half of our roster is about equivalent to most of the top half of the roster. And there's, there's a, you know, a lack of like top, top end players. Uh, but maybe that has the effect of games like this happening and it working out really well. I don't know. No, really, exactly. I mean, that's the mystery sometimes when you play in these Open Cup tournaments. It's one and done. And when you're in a league play, it's like, well, you know, they'll always be the next game. This one is you've got to pray to God you win so you can play the next game. So that's probably the reasons why. But, boy, what a game this was. What changes have you seen Mastroeni make um, during this season, including Open Cup play, where Salt Lake, you know, like you've just said, um, maybe he's changed the tactics a little bit, maybe he's changed the formation a little bit. What do you think has worked a little bit better for Salt Lake so far in two Open Cup matches? Uh, in the Open Cup matches, so the first one was against Las Vegas Light, uh, and it took two goals and extra time for RFL to come out with a win, uh, or three, three goals, three goals. Anyway, some, some number of goals and extra time. Uh, and I think that was just the case of the MLS roster being better than the, you know, the, the USL roster of Las Vegas Lights. And that one, to me, doesn't necessarily say anything tactically. It just says, like, this team is, is better equipped to last 120 minutes than the opposition. And I, I think if that weren't the case, then there would be some trouble, right? Uh, in this match, it doesn't necessarily feel like anything tactically changed from the way RSL has been playing, uh, and certainly not much different to, than the way RSL has been playing on the road, which makes the win by, I mean, with four goals, feel even stranger. But I'm reminded of, I mean, I hate to be reminded of this, but I'm reminded of the, the D.C. United team in 2013. Historically bad team, I think. They had, what, three or four wins in the season. Uh, and they they came into Salt Lake against a very good Salt Lake team and in the U.S. Open Cup final, and they, I mean, they beat us, and it was depressing and sad, and uh, RSL couldn't put anything together. And this is almost the flip side. RSL has not been good in the regular season so far. Uh, we'll probably make the playoffs because almost every team in the league makes the playoffs. Uh, but that, that's not a, a bellwether of, you know, anything good. It's just this is the league we're in. I don't know. This is – it's a mystery to me. But, uh, again, I'll, I'll take winning in the Open Cup any day.
No, absolutely. And I agree with you there about that time when Salt Lake was in the final at home against D.C. United. D.C. United, I, I thought, had no business being in the final, but they made a run. And, you know, that's the one thing I think you have to lament with the Jason Christ era was that your team was so good, so compact, so dangerous, solid offensively, solid defensively, great goalkeeping, only one MLS Cup to show for it out of the CONCACAF Champions League final, which they lost to Monterey. And then, of course, as you just said, that D.C. United loss in the final, one goal to nil. That I mean, ever since the Christ era, Salt Lake really has not been that good uh, for the last couple of years now. Even though Mastroeni has done a very good job, I think, in his role as head coach, but obviously, you know, every every supporter in the Salt Lake area wants more, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Well, we've seen from Real Salt Lake over the last, I mean, it's a decade now since we were in the MLS Cup final uh, back in 2013. Everything since then has been somewhere between middling and mediocre. Uh, and, and I think we all want to see a team that's great again. Uh, instead, what we've seen is, is a series of teams that tend to get by. Uh, we've had a couple charismatic coaches, uh, some of which have ended in uh, more controversial circumstances than others, certainly. Um, Pablo Mastroeni, I don't know that he's uh, a great tactical coach. If he is, I don't think we've seen it to this point. Uh, I think he can put together a team that is highly motivated and that will try to outperform their opponent, but against great coaches that, that think tactically, that doesn't always make the difference. Uh, this is a, it, it's a weird soccer landscape here because Pablo Mastroeni will talk a lot about how tactics don't matter. It's the, the people that matter. And on a human level, I don't entirely disagree uh, that, that humans are important and that uh, the proper t care of individuals on the team is important to a well-functioning team. But I, I think there's got to be something tactical there and strategic in the way RSL plays that, that could help bring it together. Very true, very true. Um, and now your fifth-round match, you'll be on the road again. You're going to be taking on the Colorado Rapids. And Robin Frazier's team did, uh, well, let's just put it this way. They did the impossible. They knocked off Sacramento Republic, um, last year's finalists, thought they were going to get eliminated early in the uh, year this year and were able to survive that, but uh, they could only muster the fourth round and eliminated. What do you have to be weary of when you're going to be taking on the Colorado Rapids on uh, in your next match? Yeah, honestly, we saw it in this match uh, with the first goal that Portland scored. The thing I'm wary of is that Ray Alpha Lake so often can be their own worst enemy. Uh, we saw them trying to play out of the back and give up just a silly goal that any team would score uh, having been gifted that chance. And that's the thing I'm most worried about is, is the team's ability to put it together for 90 minutes without substantial errors. RSL under Mastroini tends to have to be not perfect, but near perfect to eke out a result uh, unless the opponent is not firing on half their cylinders. Uh, and 
and they can do it, uh, but it's not something that they can do consistently. Can they put it together again for the Open Cup against Colorado Rapids? Probably, but they'll kind of need to get it out of their own way. Yeah, I agree with you there. You cannot get in front of yourself. You cannot put the cart in front of the horse. You got to go out there, stick with the game plan, and you got to go full out. You know, hit the, keep your foot on the gas, and uh, don't let it off as much as you can. You got to go and attack and find a way. Well, other than that, Matt, uh, I really appreciate uh, your time. And for those of us that are not familiar with your brand new site, uh, explain, of course, uh, the Wasatch. Soccer Sentinel. How good has it been since you uh, started that one up? Yeah, things are good. We've had a lot of support both locally and nationally from uh, other MLS supporters and, and bloggers and writers. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a totally new site, Wasatch Soccer Sentinel. It's wasatch.soccer is the domain. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's been a chance for me as a software engineer to to put my professional work and my hobby work together in a way that I, I think it's really fun. Uh, I'm excited to see where we go and uh, what, what it looks like in the future, uh, but for now we've got a fully functioning site that uh, allows us to persist as we have in the past, uh, but hopefully with a really good platform for growth. That's great to hear. I'm very happy to hear that for you, and uh, continued success with the brand-new site. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Montgomery, WasatchSoccerSentinel.com. Follow them on Twitter as well. Uh, if you're a Salt Lake supporter, just even a supporter of the game, check out his site and have some fun. Matt, as always, thank you very much for joining me today, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me as always. Once again, Matt Montgomery from Wasatch Soccer Sentinel on Real Salt Lake's victory over the Portland Timbers. And finally, tonight, a good friend of mine. You know him very well. I know him very well, of course. My former champion soccer radio network buddy, uh, the radio voice of LAFC, the one and only Dave Denholm, discussing the LAFC victory over Monterey Bay Union in a penalty kick shootout. And I'm not going to waste your time. Here it is. Right now, once again, my buddy, your buddy, Dave Denholm. And welcome back to the American Soccer Show, reviewing the fourth round of the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. A good friend of mine joining me right now, as well as the radio voice of LAFC, the one and only, Dave Denholm, joins me to talk about that big victory over Monterey Bay FC. Dave, it's been a long time since we've spoken. How are you? And what? a victory for the club as a whole on Tuesday night. Doing well, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And, yes, it was a, it was a wild one. No question about it. It was a lot of fun, uh, a little taxing, a little harrowing, but they got the job done. The kids are all right. They got the job done, and they're moving on in the Open Cup. You know, we always talk about these MLS clubs and their academies, obviously the New York Red Bulls, FC Dallas. Okay, even the LA Galaxy has had some successes with developing players. But how amazing are these kids from Los Angeles FC that get not only thrown into a big moment in the Open Cup, to take over for the senior team because obviously tons of fixture congestion, but they come out on top. 
yeah, they're pretty. Uh, it was a pretty great uh, performance, I must say. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I knew it was coming. I knew who they had sent. You know, who was going to be on the traveling party for that game, let's say, and the roster that was uh, put together for that. So I knew it was going to be, uh, you know, a game where Monterey Bay would have to be considered the favorite, frankly, even though, of course, everybody else would look at it as LAFC. You know, even though they're going on the road up north to Seaside, uh, you'd figure they're the favorites. It's going to be a major upset if Monterey Bay can get by. But I thought, well, certainly with this roster going up, you'd have to consider Monterey Bay with their roster the favorite at home. But it played well. I think the goal, they got the first goal. First of all, they settled in nicely defensively, Daniel. And when you do that and you realize you're not getting run over by any beat, then you can kind of start to play your game. Now, they let Monterey Bay have a lot of the football, but that's it's kind of been the M.O. of LAFC oftentimes this year, even with the, uh, you know, the first team, if you will. So they gave Monterey a lot of the football, but they were not out of place. They weren't overwhelmed defensively by any means. Uh, they were looking good throughout the park. They were stringing together passes when they wanted you know, to get forward. So, yeah, I was very, 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 uh, you know, kind of just impressed with how they came out. Uh, and then to get that goal, really a good opportunity. They capitalized in the 25th minute, and that kind of put Monterey Bay on the back foot a little bit. Now, trailing, I think that made all the difference in the long run. It, it just reinforced that they could play with this team right from the jump. I think when you have these kids taking on a veteran in USL action like Christian Volesky was, and that defense basically gave him nothing, I think yeah. that was the really the, the, the telling sign that this LAFC team has been managed very well, not just because of Steve Terundolo, who's running the whole thing, but their MLS pro, their MLS Next Pro manager has to be given a lot of credit for what he has done for that side as well at LAFC too. Yeah, and I think another, another thing that people were looking at, maybe not looking deep enough uh, quite, uh, was that, uh, yes, MLS Next Pro, LAFC too is struggling to get results, but they're playing some good football down there. I, you know, they had a game recently against San Jose Earthquakes, too, where the goalkeeper for San Jose Earthquakes, too, made save after save after save. Daniel, I'm talking like world-class saves in an MLS Next Pro game in which LAFC C2 end up losing 1-0 because of it. But they were just dominant in that game. So I think people saw, like, the results LAFC 2 have been getting. And yeah, it's a results business. I get it. Even at that level, you're professionals. But they've been playing good football, and they've been playing together. So it made a lot of sense to, like, if they're going to go this route, just bring all of them, you know, bring those guys up and let them, those who have played together at the, you know, the LAFC 2 level, take their shot together in this type of match. Now, they did bring in, you know, Eldon Yakupovich, Ethan's goalkeeper, certainly, which made a big difference, too. Uh, but this was a young team. I mean, Nathan Ordaz, you know, Eric Duenas has had maybe a few minutes with LAFC. He's had some good performances at a start. Uh, Christian Torres has not yet had any time with LAFC in MLS play this year. But those guys really, they, you know, they are top-quality prospects. I mean, even prospects, they're ready. You know, they're, they're, they're able to play. They just haven't been given the opportunity quite yet, frankly, because of the depth of LAFC. But those guys are ready to go. Yeah, they really did. And then, of course, uh, we all thought it was going to be a runaway 1-0 victory. I mean, obviously, it's not really a cup set because it, LAFC is the senior side, but they were playing those kids. But Simon Dawkins, 
coming out of retirement uh, for Frank Gallup. He equalizes it in the 90th minute to make it 1-1. Then you're down 2-1 by Jesse Maldonado in the 94th minute. But the substitute does the job, and Matthias Maya, or I, I guess I'm mispronouncing his name. I hope I'm, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Maya, uh, he comes out with a gem of a goal. Yeah, absolutely. And it, great finish, but it was a good build-up, too. Uh, another guy who is really the seasoned veteran of the team who played was Daniel Chrysostomo, who certainly has had time with LAFC. Uh, he, he has just played a few minutes with LAFC, too, this year. Uh, coming into this match, I think he had one game with LAFC, too, just to get some action. But he, he helped set up that goal. What a finish, but what a great team. Both goals were really good. In fact, all four goals of this game were really good. It was an incredible game back and forth. Now, of course, it's easier for me to say that now, especially since we end up advancing on penalties, but it really was a great game back and forth. Uh, you get that late goal with Simon Dawkins. Monterey Bay has all the momentum. They capitalize on that early in the first extra time period. We end up coming back and tying it in it late in that first extra time. And then the, the second extra time period, LAFC had some chances that Andy Siaha, the goalie from Monterey Bay makes some brilliant saves to keep it at 2-2, and it just was a back-and-forth game. It, would, it was really, you know, and I hate to say it, it seems like a cliche, it was tough that one team could, you know, had to lose, essentially. I mean, that's just the way it is. It was very reminiscent of the MLS Cup Final, and it was such a great game that, you know, I mean, obviously it was ecstatic to win, but, you know, Philadelphia, it's not like they deserve to lose in that MLS Cup Final necessarily. Same thing in this game, really. Monterey Bay did all they could. It just, you know, penalties went in the way of Yakupovich. And then uh, you move on to the penalty kick shootout, and it, it's a big one. It goes six rounds, and it's funny where you have all these kids doing well, reservists, substitutes, finally getting a start here and there. But when you talk about grandpa in goal and i'm only being i'm only joking obviously i'm not really calling him grandpa but eldon jakupovich what a game he had he not only does he score as the keeper against the keeper but he makes the big save to win it in the shootout that had to be probably the biggest story out of this entire uh dream match for these kids well it's funny because we didn't know he was going to take one and he kind of got into it a little bit with the referee right before his penalty, the one he kicked, even though he's the goalkeeper, because the ball had kind of squirted away, it got away. He had to go walk and get it. And I was wondering, what is going on? Why is Yakupovich going and grabbing it? And they were like, oh, wait, he's taking the next kick. And my producer reminded me that he buries kicks in practice all the time from the PK spot. He loves to practice them. He just buries them. And he buried that penalty kick, if you watch that match against Monterey Bay. I mean, it was perfect. No goalkeeper could save it. It was just a perfect penalty. High, hard, below the crossbar, back in the net before the keeper had a chance to move, frankly. That's how good it was. And then, he, you're right, he comes up and makes the big saves to win it. Uh, just fully deserved. I mean, and he was really helping the back line, too. The back line played tremendously, honestly. I mean, they did give up the late goal, then they give up the early one with the momentum going against them and the but they really played well throughout uh, for most of the 120 minutes, to be sure, uh, despite the fact, obviously, they are all youngsters back there, essentially. Uh, and, you know, they even substitute the substitute they brought in to play, come back at left-back, 17 years old. He started playing with Las Vegas Lights when Future on a little there when he was 15. 
for LAFC. So it's like, yeah, he's 17. He comes off the bench in a crucial situation, but he's got a lot of experience. You know, we say they're youngsters, but, man, these kids are used to winning, too, Daniel, and we know that goes a long way. It really does, and what a great culture LAFC has been building over there so far. And uh, you got to give credit to the club. you got to give credit to the uh, academy staff, Chirundolo. I mean, you even have to give credit to Bob Bradley, who was their first head coach in their existence. And, I mean, it, it started with him, let's be honest. It started with Bob Bradley, and it's just been advanced a lot better with Steve Chirundolo now at the helm in his second season. That's a good point, really, because – you know, you don't know what the next coach is going to do in any situation, right? You, you, you move on from a coach, a coach retires, a coach goes somewhere else. You don't know how that transition is going to be. It could be, it could be rocky. It could be rough. It could be worse. You know, that's that's the whole point of like you just, it's the unknown. And yet, uh, Steve Rundle has come in and just taken it to another level, which to me has just been so impressive. Uh, and I can't say enough. No, absolutely. And, and full credit to Ante Razov, who was obviously on the Bob Bradley staff and had that continuity, and Mark Dos Santos, who, of course, left LAFC to go become the manager of Vancouver for a while. He's that. He's incredible. I mean, the coaches have Oka, uh, who, you know, great goalkeeper coach. I mean, all the way down, Gavin, everybody who works with the club. I mean, they really have got together quickly under Gerundolo, you know, to, to mesh that as a staff, which translates right into the team, the, the, that continuity. And to be perfectly frank, we don't have a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of movement player-wise. Now there's, you know, several players who played for Bob, but there's a lot of players who are gone. You know, there's a lot of turnover. It's professional sports. We know it. Almost seems to happen more in soccer than even other sports, it feels like. But, uh, yeah, it's just been an incredible ride, you know. And, and really from day one, uh, there's been a little, little bit of a slip-up, you know, missing the playoffs one time. But, yeah, you're right. And it, the funny thing about, like, you talk about, the youth academy, the Red Bulls, incredible, Dallas. With LAFC, the academy has been so good, but the problem becomes where, you know, how and when do you play these kids with this team? You know, no disrespect to some of the other teams, but some of those teams need the academy kid to come up, you know, and perform. And rightfully so. That's just the way of the nature of professional sports. But, Daniel, who do you take out in, in minutes at LAFC? You know what I mean? So – Along the course of this long season, you're going to need these opportunities for these kids in a game like that against Monterey Bay. That's very true, and that's a great problem for LAFC to have. Um, Dave, there's been some chatter uh, outside of LAFC nationally across the country, and I'd like to throw my hat in the ring and ask you this as well. Um, CONCACAF Champions League Finals coming up. Uh, still on the move for an Open Cup run. Also, possibility of repeating as MLS Cup champions. Uh, I haven't looked at the at the table yet for the supporter shield, but you have a better feel at this than I would, or than anybody else would. Are we talking about maybe the first club to have a treble season? Uh, well, I mean, I think. You're talking about what, didn't Toronto maybe call it, kind of do that? I don't know. Did they win the Canadian Championship the year? They kind of – that would be the one that I think might have, Daniel. But they – LAFC are in line for possibly five trophies this year, which is insane, as you know. So, like, I don't I don't know how you pull that off based on an MLS roster, whether it's LAFCs or anybody else's, just because, of, you know, they don't have 40 players at their discretion, you know, like other 
leagues around the world might or what, you know. So it's going to be interesting how Steve handles that and the, tra- and the coaching staff and the training staff and John Thorington, how they decide to kind of go about this now. Like, what do you do, Daniel, for a game that now comes up on Mar- May, what, 23rd, 24th? It's the next round of the U.S. Open Cup. It's still before you're about to play the Champions League finals in two legs, right? Yep. Only, you know, it's only three days after you've now played a couple of MLS games in six days. So now three days later, you have to play the Galaxy in the U.S. Open Cup. I mean, what do you do? I, quite frankly, I give the kids another chance, probably. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they'll tackle it yet, but I don't know. I mean, it's like it's lo- the schedule's loaded. It's going to be very difficult to win that any competition. Plus, it's going to be very difficult because there's a lot of good teams in the Western Conference and in the Eastern Conference, frankly. So you're, nothing's guaranteed in MLS, as we know. Uh, but here's the thing about this club. They do approach it genuinely like, let's go win everything. So, again, you know, that's it's easy to say, and some, every club is going to say that, but they really do, generally speaking, put out really strong lineups for virtually everything. It's just a case of we just have to let these kids play this one because of the schedule and just the craziness that's coming up. We'll know what they do now with another game added here. All right, what would you do? I'm asking you sincerely. What would you do? I mean, with the fixture congestion the way it's going, I mean, you're just going to have no choice. You're going to have to put the kids in because, I, I mean, you're going to do... I mean, the CONCACAF Champions League final, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. Like exactly. So, yeah, I agree. I tend to agree with you. I, I do. I don't know what they're going to do. I have no inside information yet. They haven't, I don't, I'm sure they haven't made up their mind yet uh, about that. Uh, you're still a couple of weeks away from that, you know, at least you know, almost two weeks away from thinking about it. Well, not thinking about it, but actually going out and playing the Galaxy in that game. So they probably have not made that decision. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I, I tend to agree with you. And the kids, you know, maybe they deserve it after how they performed against Monterey Bay, right? But give them another shot. Yep. You know, it'll be, it'll be at home. You'll have the home crowd behind you. I know it's a Galaxy game, so it'll be... You know, certainly the Galaxy will be fairly represented in that match in the U.S. Open Cup at our stadium, but uh, you will get the home crowd behind you. Uh, maybe you integrate a few more regulars, you know, like that could be a possibility since you're not traveling. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go to RSL. You don't have to go to Colorado, rather. You don't have to go to wherever. Um, but, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, I think that might be the play. I agree there, too. Dave Denholm, radio voice of LAFC, joining me on the show tonight. Dave, as always, I appreciate your time. Good luck in the next round against the Galaxy at BMO Stadium, and uh, I'll hope to talk to you again soon. You take care, my friend. Daniel, always a pleasure. Always love talking with you, brother. Once again, Dave Denholm, radio voice of LAFC, on with me on that recorded interview. Great to have him on once again on the show. He is late, but it's never a problem for me because I love to have him on to talk about Minnesota United FC. Bruce McGuire joining me right now from Denord. Bruce, uh, finally glad to have you on. And uh, as I like to say in that match against Philadelphia for that victory, it's better late than never. Well, first, Daniel, I'm, I'm really late, and I am embarrassed, and I really apologize. Um, I know how you love to run a ship on your show and you like to just knock them down one after the other. And I, I really messed that up for you. I, I don't know what I did. I set my night free. I set an alarm. 
I was just puttering around the house doing nothing special, and I looked down, and I'm a half hour late, and I can't believe it. So That's please okay. accept my apology. Bruce, as you will always be forgiven on my end. Yep. Well, thank you, man. Thank you. I really – and I love being on your show. I always have so much fun talking to you. I know you, you do. Um, Absolutely. It was pretty cool to hear Dave Denholm, too. I haven't talked to Dave in a long time, so that was really fun to hear his voice. Um, Philadelphia at Allianz Field. That second half and extra time and penalties, that was a scene, man. That was <laughs> that was an awful lot of fun, even as the painstaking moments happened as a Minnesota fan. Uh, but for a neutral, that was a tremendous game. It really was. And, you know, I was watching that match, uh, watching all the other matches as well, and just seeing how, uh, you know, it was a decent first half, a little here, a little there, but uh, both sides getting booked. But yeah. once the goal started coming in that second half, it was just brilliant there, Bruce. It was lovely. <laughs> Yeah, the entertainment value was off the charts. And, and, you know, frankly, it's good for Minnesota United because they have been pretty miserable at home this season. Uh, They haven't won any games. Um, They've had, I mean, the last home game was against Dallas. It was a scoreless draw. They've lost a couple at home. It's just just been a rough start to the season at home. And so for the fans, it was well worth the wait to have a, you know, a drama-filled game like that. It really, really was. Um, talk about now. If I if I kill if I if I destroy his first name, I I'm trying not to, but um, I'll call him Bongo for short. But uh, Bongo Cooley, uh, Long Wayne, uh, you know what an exciting player you're, he's you're been from close, Minnesota. Man. You're pretty close. I'll take it. Long what about Wanda. him? That's so exciting. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's youthful spirit to start. You know, he's um, he's still pretty raw, pretty green, but he's got a he's got an attitude that he wants to do the best. He wants to improve. He wants to be on the field. He wasn't brought in to be a regular, you know, because he's a young kid. They brought him in to, you know, teach him up. And um, because of injuries and different shifts in positions and things like that, he's ended up playing almost every game since the day he arrived from South Africa. And uh, he he does have a good physicality. Um, He's not afraid to drop back and defend, which you love to see in an outside attacking player. And his determination is what gets him there. I mean, sometimes, yeah, his, his enthusiasm gets the best of him, and he puts the ball into the 20th row a few times too often. But you know, the more he can get experience, the more he can settle down. How many young players have we seen when they mature a little bit, everything clicks into place and, and he's got the right attitude. And and boy, that, that game was his. I mean, two goals and an assist and he didn't come off the bench until the second half. That's that's quite a game for anybody. It really is just amazing what he's been able to do. And, of course, uh, Rosales gets that second goal in the 74th minute. But, um, you know, 
you you know you're good. You're in a little bit of trouble when you get that uh, when when Minnesota allows that first goal by Philadelphia by Chris Donovan. I wasn't expecting him to score at all, and he puts it in to make it two one. And then Kai Wagner uh, forces extra cool. time with his goal in the 90th minute, or especially in second half stoppage time. That was a that was a Debbie down, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, it was the last kick of a regulation, and he did it again with the last kick of extra time. Pretty stunning. Exactly. And you know what was kind of fun yep. is, is he had come in he had come in in the second half and we all know he's he's a bit of a villain, which always makes for fun. Um, and one of the first things he did on the field is Michael Boxall from Minnesota had been tackled way upfield and he was laying on the ground, kind of face down, and Minnesota's trying to waste some time. And Kai Wagner kicks the ball right at him, not hard, just kicks the ball at him, hits him right in the face, and. Uh, Boxall goes kind of crazy, and Wagner gets booked. And then you come to the end of stoppage in in the regular 90, and there's Wagner on the back post. And Boxall and, and the fullback, Zarek Valentin, are, I think they're looking at star formations or constellations or something, maybe the, the cloud patterns or something up in the sky, because they're not even looking in his direction. He's wide open, he's at the back post, and he just hammers it in. And, you know, just yep. the cruel irony of villains pulling that off is, is it's one of the things that makes sports so incredible. Yep, yep, it really does there. It really, really does. And then you get to the penalty kick shootout. A lot of nerves there for you, Bruce. Uh, I've been there just like you've been there. Believe me, when you get when you get to twitchy bum time, you know – it's going to be a huge, huge issue. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting is that Clint Irwin, the last time he did penalties was in MLS Cup final for Toronto. And so in a way, this is a lot less pressure than that for him. He's been there before. He's been in a big game having to stop penalties, and, and he stopped two of them. And that's not easy for any goalkeeper to do. And so, you know, more credit for him. He didn't have a great game. Um, he's not a great goalkeeper, but he does have experience in real games against real opponents. And, you know, at the right time, it all paid off for him. It really did, especially when Kai Wagner came uh, up in the eighth round. Uh, you know, you're thinking yeah. to yourself, okay, he scored in regulation. You know, he scored an extra time. Is he going to break your heart and beat you in the, in the shootout? And it's Clint Irwin who makes that big, big save to give yeah. the victory to Minnesota. Yeah, I think, I think the best Kai could have done there is keep it tied. It was 7-6 to six when he stepped up. And um, so at mm-hmm. least that time yep. he couldn't win it. You know what I mean? All he could do was for the third time tie it, which would be pretty cruel as well. But Erwin, uh, and, and afterwards there's been a few articles written around here that he and the other, the regular starting goalkeeper, Dane Sinclair, had talked about Kai Wagner and which way he likes to go. And they decided he was going left. And sure enough, he went to the goalkeeper's left and he saved it. Yep, he really did. Um, If I can ask you this, moving forward, obviously, you know, Philadelphia has been very, very unlucky in shootouts, whether it be in the Open Cup 
or even in the MLS Cup final last year. I mean, did you think maybe you were hoping that they would be, uh, uh, you know, jinxing themselves again? And, you know, once again, Clint Irwin does the job. It's hard to know. I mean, I think I think that we all know that so much of the game at that level is mental. And Minnesota has not been a mentally strong team in their – this is now their seventh year in MLS. It's been their biggest downfall is their mental attitude. So I didn't really know what to expect. You're right about Philadelphia. They have had that – they've had a mental issue with penalty kicks. And so – I didn't have a clue. You know, I did not go into it confidently. I didn't have any idea of, of who might win that thing. But, again, I go back to Clint Irwin having had that experience before, and uh, he took it the right way as opposed to getting beat on penalties a few different times and you take it the wrong way which unfortunately I think Philadelphia is a little bit stuck there. I think so too. So Minnesota United moving ahead to the fifth round and they will be heading to Texas to take on the Houston Dynamo at Shell Energy Stadium. So tell me there, Bruce, what are we thinking about this one? I think this is at least going to be the third time they've played in the Open Cup, if not the fourth but I'm thinking it's the third. They've played quite a few times in the Open Cup, and, um, you know, the the teams have been almost dead even. So it really depends on what kind of team they put out there. The issue for Minnesota is that they don't really have youngsters. They don't really have guys who don't play. They don't really have much of a squad to rotate. They This season they have used 18 players on the field and two goalkeepers and like the other night in the open cup, um, Luis Amaria, one of the strikers was injured. So they only had 17 field players. And um, because it went to extra time, they got a sixth substitute. So they used all 17 players in that game. And that's, that's all they have. And they've got, they've got from the first of May, until like the first weekend in June, they're like a lot of MLS teams. They have nine games in 29 days. And if they beat Houston, they'll play three days after the last game in that run. So that'll that'll make it 10 games in 32 days. And when you're only playing 18 players and two goalkeepers, I'm not sure how you pull that off because there's no way you go through that streak without – guys getting tired, guys getting injured, guys getting suspended. And so I'm not sure how you do that. Very true. Come out successful. You know, so yep. do they exactly. do they do they put any priority on that Houston game or do they try and you know, call up a bunch of players from, you know, the MLS Next Pro team? I don't know what they do. I don't know. Um Yep. I don't Adrian, know either. Adrian Adrian Heath 10 to use the same guys until, you know, one by one they fall off the cliff from either exhaustion or injury, and then he finds someone else to fill in, and then they just keep going. That kind of tends to be the way he does things. Does it get a little tiring, or do you think uh, 
Heath is going to keep on doing this until he gets a solution. I, I don't see a solution, but um, but yeah, he will keep doing it this way. This is his way. This is mm. the only way he knows. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, yeah. It, it's this is you know again like the team, the whole team in MLS. This is year seven, and we've pretty much seen the same thing all seven years. So it's not a surprise. Um, the only one little factor I'll say is maybe at the very end. Maybe three weeks from now, they might see Emmanuel Reynoso on the field again. The one little beacon out there in the distance where you can say, huh, that could be really interesting. Because he's just returned. They're saying today that it's going to be another week to clear everything through MLS and and overturn his suspension. And then he'll need a couple more weeks after that of training um, to get himself physically prepared. So there's that little, yeah, you know, it's like a Christmas present out there for the first of June. Sounds like, and hopefully, it's uh, everyone's going to get those nice little presents in their eyes, sparkling in front of them. Bruce, thanks for coming in. I know late, but still, though, I'm glad you're able to come on and talk about this match. Good luck in the next round, and good luck with the rest of the season, man. Take take care. That's so, so great to talk to you. Take care of yourself, Daniel. I will. Thank you, you too, Bruce. Bruce McGuire, Denord, talking about Minnesota United FC and their victory over um, the Philadelphia Union, finally getting him over uh, to talk about this matchup. Finally, uh, the New York Rebels uh, with a 1-0 victory over D.C. United. And once again, once again, you're seeing the New York Red Bulls defeating a rival in MLS in the Open Cup as for the second year in a row in the fourth round, last year down at Audi Field, this year at, at Montclair State University Soccer Park, uh, a 1-0 victory as Omir Fernandez gets the only goal of the match, strong defense, now, yes, it's only been one game, and congratulations to now interim head coach Troy Lassan, who uh, the former New Mexico United manager who was part of the uh, Red Bulls uh, coaching staff under Gerhard Struber. Of course, as we all know, Gerhard Struber was sacked. So all you can say is is that for him, to get such a teeny tiny window, a 24-hour period, to get his players ready to go, ready to play, and to get a new lease on life after a poor start in league play, they've gone out and they got a big, big victory in the Open Cup. And let's see what they can do uh, in the next round against FC Cincinnati. Other than that, it was good. It was strong. Montclair State, yes, I know. Wayne Rooney, not happy that DC and I did not bid to host uh, the match. Not happy that it was played at Montclair State because of the synthetic turf. Didn't bring a strong side. He didn't want to injure any of his current players on the roster. Excuse me. Whatever he wanted to do, that's his decision. Not a big deal. So they don't, they don't, uh, they didn't advance. They didn't go forward. And the Red Bulls will take it 
as they are one up on them in the Atlantic Cup Derby. Now for the upcoming schedule for the fifth round of the U.S. Open Cup, and here we go. Tuesday, May 23rd, Inter-Miami hosts Nashville SC at DRV PNK Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The New York Red Bulls will host FC Cincinnati at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central. Houston Dynamo hosting Minnesota United FC at Shell Energy Stadium in downtown Houston, Texas. And it's El Trafico, the LAFC hosting LA Galaxy at BMO Stadium, 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. On Wednesday, May 24th, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds will be hosting the Columbus Crew at Highmark Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Birmingham Legion will be hosting Charlotte FC at the Protective Stadium in downtown Birmingham, Alabama, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Austin FC will host Chicago Fire at the Q2 in, down, in Austin, Texas at 9 Eastern, 8 Central. And at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 Pacific, Colorado Rapids hosting Real Salt Lake at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Commerce City, Colorado. When we get the television streaming broadcast information, we will let you know. It will be either through Bleacher Report's YouTube, ch- uh, YouTube page Bleach Report app, or on the CBS Sports Golazo Network. It should be fun, and it should be exciting. I want to thank my guests tonight. John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Kaylor Hodges, Hammer Time Podcast. Bruce McGuire, Denord. Matt Montgomery, Wasatch, Soccer Sentinel. And Dave Denholm, the radio announcer of LAFC. Regular show will not be uh, this coming Monday or Tuesday. It will be uh, Thursday. I will be away for uh, some personal time, some personal business. So join me next the, this coming Thursday. And next Friday, the NPSL Soccer Show will be back. And then regular Four Scenes Fire will be back uh, on Monday the 22nd of May. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long and bye-bye for now. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.